Hey, good morning all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Pretty special day today. Trip mm-hmm. Fuller and Tony Jones on the podcast. What special a great day. day. Hey, January 3rd, everybody. And uh, that means it's Ruben's birthday today and John Raymond's birthday. So Have, have you been to OPH yet? Going to 1045, buddy. Going to 1045. I went there yesterday with my oldest kid and he had 49er flapjacks. Wow. It's a... Tony and I live within uh, miles of each other and uh, have exactly the same birthday life with children, adult children. Take them to the original pancake house and enjoy some pancakes. Uh, Ironically, it's not the original, original pancake house. That's in Portland, Oregon. So I don't know. Uh, It's one of those funny ironies. When I was in Amsterdam, there was a place like on the block of Anne Frank's house that was called the original pancake house <laughs> and it was old it was older in america head on over have a conversation about uh, resistance to holocaust and grab some flapjacks <laughs> uh <laughs> get them with blueberries hey uh guys you might not know that we we often begin this podcast with with how's the weather uh where you are um so outside it, it's i haven't been outside yet today tony maybe you have it's cloudy where we live and uh and feels just perfectly winter out there. Just January. it's supposed to, the sun is actually supposed to come out later today, Doug. All right, I, which would be the first time in several days. Yeah, Trip. How about you? How's the uh, how's how's the weather over there? Well, in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, it's forty degrees, partly cloudy, with a high of fifty-one today. The sun might be peeking out in the early afternoon, and the um, no, next week next week you're going to be here, Doug. And I'm going to be in your hometown. So, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to rotate. In fact, for people who care, uh, what we're going to be talking about today is this emerged podcast you guys put together. Trip, you will be sitting in this very room that I'm in right now while we while we, we stream from from right here. Yeah, and then I will that night drive to your town. Uh, <laughs> we will we'll make that swap. All right. Uh, hey, people might already know Trip Fuller, Tony Jones. Um, there's a chance of that, but there's also a chance people don't yet know you. Uh, and, and what you do. And this whole conversation about emerging church, if people are in the common good podcast stream, the vote common good ecosystem, they may know nothing at all about emerging church stuff and what that what what that all means. But you two have uh, sought to rectify that for people by putting together a really well-produced and riveting uh, podcast called Emerged. And I've only listened to one episode because I think only one episode is available for for, for the commoner in the world? Well, um, I wouldn't call you a commoner, Doug. You're on the picture of the first episode. Like you're, you know, there's a little cartoon of you, much younger, but uh, not as handsome. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and, okay, and that's that's the thing we should talk about, that that I'm a part of the, the storyline of that because uh, the Emerging Church was something that a bunch of us, including Tony and I, spent a lot of our lives working on and then soon met Trip Fuller and a bunch of us worked in that area and space. And then a lot of people found it just kind of went away. It, it sort of, I don't know, it was like we didn't know we were making sand art at the time. But all of a sudden it was it was gone. Or as they say in the trailer to the podcast, or did it go away? Ooh. All right, so, uh, so Tony, um, remind people what you do. Because if they look you up now, they're going to find out that you're a world-class hunter, you have a, you're obviously a writer, you have a PhD, but you're also connected to this uh, to this emerging church world. So r- remind people of the pedigree of Tony Jones. 
Uh, the pedigree. Well, Doug, I grew up not far from where you are sitting. I'm, I'm, I grew up somewhere between you and me right now, where, where the two of us are sitting is my uh, home, where my 80-year-old mother still lives. Hmm. And uh, just met with a handyman there a couple days ago. We're going to put in some extra handrails for her to try to keep her in that house a little bit longer. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, grew up around here. Um, you know, went away to school a few times, but always ended up back in Minnesota. Um, and I had a long career in church ministry, seminary education, um, publishing, Christian publishing and things like that. And those, you know, um, I think are still, I guess, part of my, I don't know, how would you say it? part of the road I walk to get where I am today. Today, yeah, I, I'm i still involved in some kind of stuff like that. I'm really less involved in the church world, and I spend a lot of time outdoors. That's I do a lot of writing about the outdoors and guide trips in the Boundary Waters. Um, yeah, I have a new book coming out in April on kind of my journey out of the church and into the woods. And then always have little side hustles going. So one that uh you know i think probably ryan burge and i should come back on your podcast in a year after we've done the largest uh ever survey of nuns non-religious affiliated americans so we have a big grant from the templeton foundation and that's just gotten underway wow. in the last few months so that's Super a three-year yeah a three-year project and how how non-religiously affiliated americans find meaning we call them nuns n-o-n-e-s although when you're not writing that out it can be confusing uh i'm sure you've talked about that on on this podcast before Yeah, i've got all kinds of thoughts about that what that what that means and what is why affiliation yeah. is the primary means by which people think christianity is identified so i think there's yeah really be super interesting yeah so right. that's a that's one of my side hustles and then another one is this this project with trip that kind of blossomed out of his brain and then we got to talking about it. it it it's it's had various iterations and has become something that yeah we just launched two days ago and uh it's 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 been super fun even got an email from one shelly paget last night telling me how much she liked the episode she was emotional i walked in the kitchen she is was, that right she was, she was emotional she had She's she's quick to emotion, especially the the crying kind. Uh, but uh -huh. she was she was very touched by uh, all of it, as was I. I listened to the first episode, and it was real flashback kind of moments uh, when Brad Cecil's voice came on. I don't something. My heart just sort of started pittering, uh, and uh, uh, but I checked the EKG on my watch, and it was all fine. It wasn't a medical emergency. It was just an emotion that I was having that I'm not used to. Um, Hey, hey, Tony, you, you may look just like a average pheasant hunter, um, but inside that brain of yours are, is the payoff of Dartmouth education, you know, Ivy League, college educated in Princeton seminary and, uh, and uh, doctoral degrees. So you, you bring a significant uh, pedigree to a conversation about church, church history, and you were a practitioner in this emerging church world. In fact, the executive director of probably one of the more significant organizations in the emerging church movement, um, Emergent Village. So 
you're you're an insider to that world making a podcast about the the very world that you were an insider to so i want to come back and ask you about that how that sure how that feels now uh trip you you also may just look like a average pheasant hunter um but i don't know if you kill kill animals yourself at all um do do you are you are you a are you an animal hunter i like i like eating hunted animals uh-huh, sure. um more of a fisherman i now you forgot to mention that tony is also one of the leading uh roadkill chefs we right. didn't mention that but yes right. hunting but also what happens if you just come across uh turkey recently uh recently had its life ended by automobile and it's frozen he cooks and, it. And, and you are not kidding on the podcast we did a week ago which was a podcast about the podcast that now we're having a podcast about. Yeah, very meta. Tony told us about uh, the the turkey that he was ahead on the smoker that he discovered on the side of the road and picked up, brought home, cooked it up, made it look great. And I'm, I'm assuming well, I had Tony a thought. ate it. First I, first, I had a thought because it was frozen yeah. solid when I picked it up on the side uh, of the road. Yeah, and then he sniffed it. it um, well, I sniffed it as it was thawing because that's – I mean – believe it or not like evolution has built into us uh certain ways to suss out you know rancid meat and human beings can't digest rancid meat a lot of other mammals frankly can digest rancid meat uh we cannot so um i i've sniffed it and that's as i mean i don't know how else you're going to tell something's rancid other than sniffing it yeah, Doug, did you know that you had a friend? Eat the f- eat the dead animals you find on the side of the road. Has no, been my, no, my I mean, task, that's just the waste. I mean, using my nose. Somebody's going to eat them. Some animals look at eat them. Right look at Tony's nose. That is a sus sniffer right there. <laughs> sus sniffer, Tony Jones. <laughs> I do feel badly for those people with long COVID who lost their sense of smell but yeah. like to eat roadkill because they're really up a creek. It's it's really sad. There's that's that might explain the the increased you know frequency of frozen turkeys on the side of the road. Um though uh Doug emergepodcast.com that's where you'd go if you were interested in that podcast where I can guarantee you there's zero discussion of how to cook frozen roadkill. It's well, it's not well, there. Here's, here's a question from Kimberly. Uh, can fish get rancid? Um, is that, is that the same thing? Or do they... Look, let's just put it this way, Doug. Any meat can get rancid. A fish made out of meat? That was poultry. Okay. Uh, hey, hey, Trip. you you also have a, uh, a, a pedigree in this area. You're a professor. You're a writer. You're one of the more exceptional and well-received podcasters in uh, the world of Christianity and uh, Christian thought in America. Um, remind people if they don't yet know what 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 your background and pedigree is. Oh uh, well, I grew up a church planter's kid, uh, and then was uh, always into reading theology and philosophy from like middle school on. Hmm. So went to undergrad, did philosophy, religion, and theater as uh, my major, and then. Went to divinity school at Wake Forest University, did a PhD in uh, a joint PhD in philosophy and religion at uh, Claremont Graduate University in L.A. And then uh, was in L.A. for 10 years or so and then spent three years doing science and religion uh, stuff at uh, the University of Edinburgh. And then last year moved back here to the States. So that that 
that's kind of what I've been up to. And I, and I do the Homebrewed Christianity podcast, which has been going on for almost 16 years now. So you, you, you were early on in podcasting. Um, you created the Homebrewed Christianity podcast and have kept it going for 16 years. There are not very many people who have a 16 year run in podcasting. Some in people fact, have a 16 dog. episode run or a 16 week run. <laughs> But 16 years is not uh, is not something a lot of people can put on their on their sleeve of honor. And and Doug, this is I mean, there I, I know I, I don't want to start your day off in a, on a sour note, Doug. Okay. But I know you have a lot of a lot of missed opportunities in your life, like one dot com. But you and I started the first Emergent Village podcast before trip started homebrew christianity we recorded because florin palady just sent it to me we recorded it at a restaurant you no longer frequent it's called chipotle wow. on york avenue in edina we sat outside and recorded the first emergent village podcast we could have had a similarly long run but we quit there are 92 episodes total of the emergent village podcast you and i are on episode number one what what year was that? Do you do you, do you know? And I well tell you maybe you can. Uh, uh, Cheese Simon Cheese Danish was sitting at the table with us, starting his one month internship with you. Yeah, I cannot remember that. I remember that. <laughs> I remember Simon from 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 Den from Denmark. Denmark. Cheese we Danish. We talked about Danishes. Them. Yeah, Danishes. He said we don't actually eat those in Denmark. That's an American <laughs> creation. That's not even Danish. I don't know what year. I mean, maybe that would have been 03 or 04 or something like that. I mean, it was mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe I, know, I remember somewhere in 04, 06, I left blogging because I thought it was too negative and wanted to get into <laughs> blog talk radio. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Trip, yeah. like you, been noodling around in this area, but you have maintained one consistent podcast. Others of us have bounced around to many, many a platform in many ways. And homebrewed Christianity is not just a single podcast. It really now is a podcast uh, empire. Know. Yeah, empire. Gotta be fair. Like the, I bring that up because this particular multi-episode podcast that is a, a duration to it emerged. You know, the oral history of the emerging church is produced by homebrewed Christianity. Uh, does homebrewed Christianity? have other podcasts that it also has its fingers in and you, are you oh. producing more like the this american life of well we, Christian over the years i've done a bunch of different podcasts um we had one called the lectio cast where we went through the lectionary uh and after three years you've done the whole thing you know but uh um then there was a culture cast theology nerd throwdown like there's been a bunch of different ones okay. uh over time um the last four years I've been doing classes where uh, instead of having multiple podcast feeds, I would do the things that would end up on different podcasts all on one feed, then do classes from like ones on Bonhoeffer to one on like uh, science and religion stuff to like doing ones during Lent or Advent, uh, things like that, where you'll get two to 4,000 people in these classes. And uh, that was really where the idea for this came from is Tony and I were hanging out. And I thought we should do a class like what what did we learn in the emerging church movement and do like where are they now and have different friends on. And uh, and slowly the class morphed into, well, well, let's just do a let's do a let's do a whole 
let's produce it, weave it all together, and that kind of thing. And so this is really the first time uh, doing a podcast with this production level, uh, mostly because I hate editing. I don't, and and I used to do it a lot. Tony likes to would send me critical comments. Why is it over forty five minutes? And and things that was like just that. Trips, that was just trips intro to an episode would be over forty five minutes. <laughs> a lot really. like it, it reminded me of the announcement time at Solomon's Porch. Yeah. I think these Ooh. people need an editor. No, that's, that's that would be a jab at Doug Paget. That is yeah, the yeah, congregation that we're both. Well, a that's all. That's a whole theory of like uh, using all the extra space. And then land in the moment, right? Trip. There's a there's a whole there's a whole trick to that. It's the whole yeah. You know, it, you were, there you is early Joe Rogan on long form, even though that guy and like even this past year, no the top ten episodes, yeah. the top ten episodes of Homebrewed, uh, seven of them are two hours, yeah, or more. Look, I I almost don't. Saying. I don't subscribe to podcast feeds that are less than forty five minutes. Maybe usually less than an hour. Uh, not not worth my time. Not doing, I know. not doing, not doing snippets. I'm not the TikTok generation. Don't, don't, don't you're, do that. You're not a TikTok generation. You're not. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, this podcast trip, as you mentioned, is well produced, and and I don't just mean the, the background music and the actual production style, even though its its quality is is right up there, very well compressed and very well leveled. So whoever's doing the leveling and the compressing. It sounded extremely consistent. Josh Gilbert. I mean, Josh Gilbert's I mean, his name. Well done, Josh. I, I mean produced in the sense that you've taken many conversations, dozens of interviews, I'm guessing, maybe more than that, of people talking about a period of time, 20 years, 25, 30 years in the past, and woven those together into a consistent story, In at least in the first episode, and I'm guessing that's going to happen in the in the subsequent episodes. So the level of commitment to do this, to set up interviews, to ask people to talk with you for hours, to excerpt portions of those interviews, that's a really high level of commitment, right? Um, I, I don't just mean like, yeah, somebody's got to edit them and it takes a long time, but just the desire to storyboard an oral history is a really big deal. Like we don't do that around here. A podcast on this thing goes from this live feed Within minutes, we're done. Export audio and put on the website, you know, put in the podcast feed. We don't edit at all. Um, nothing. Two really different styles. So, so Tony, I, I'd love to hear from you. Why did you think this was worth this level of work? And, and then Trip, maybe you also want to add in. Why? Uh, what do you think the benefit of doing this kind of, you know, I don't know, this American life sort of story telling uh, narrative form was important. So Tony, why did you feel like the oral history of the emerging church was worth all of this effort and all of this work as it became clear to you that <laughs> this is going to be some work? Well, I think I didn't know exactly how much work it would be going into it when we uh, came up with this idea, like Tripp said, he thought, oh, let's do a class. A class would be pretty easy. We'd do a little bit of research and then we'd, you know, have you on one week and we'd have Brian on another week and we'd mm -hmm. have, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, and, and I do that all the time, just like both of you, I have a 
I have a podcast where I interview people for between 45 and 60 minutes. All my producer on that podcast does is take out the coughs and the throat clearings and the, and somebody clicking their pen in the background or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. but otherwise it just goes out pretty much as is. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that drives my, 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 my podcaster. I mean, my (laughs) producer on that podcast has a little speech he gives at the beginning of each interview and he talks about clicking pens. Um, so I didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know, which is probably wise because I don't know that I would have done it had I spent, had, had I known the amount of time for me, I I'm in this funny and Doug, you've been there many times. Trip's been there a couple times. I'm in this funny no man's land moment of my life where I've got a book complete and I'm waiting for it to come out and I'm hoping, and you never know. Well, that it it comes out April second, and maybe my life gets really busy. You know, maybe mm-hmm. people want to talk to me and have me speak, and you know, whatever. Maybe not. It may just be crickets. But I I, I won't know that till April second. So I kind of had this gap, and my part of that Templeton grant doesn't start really for another year. So I had this gap in my life where mm-hmm. I was like, I I can take on a big project right now. Um. And then I just thought there are little things that that you can do in in a highly produced podcast like we're doing that mm-hmm. you can't do in just a long form interview. Yeah. So for instance, the number of people who have said to me, "Oh my god, when I heard Phyllis Tickle's voice yeah. in the trailer, I was just like that just caught me in my, you know, like you with Brad Cecil, Courtney last night." My wife, Courtney, we were talking about it, and I was a little bit like, my God, do you know how much time we spent on episode one? And we have like nine or ten more of these to do. That It was, it, it was ex- an extraordinary amount of work to do one episode. Now, hopefully our learning curve is that we'll get better at it and we'll be more efficient, but it was really hard. We went through so many iterations of that episode, and she was getting a little misty hearing Ryan Sharp's voice singing songs wow like that brought her back to a moment in her life some of the music in the background of that episode and that's why so i just want to say like that's why Mm -hmm. because we can not just interview you and brian mclaren and nadia bolts weber but we can also find archival audio from phyllis tickle and and the music that i mean i can tell you this and then i'll pass it on to trip Doug, I remember the moment in October of 1998 in in Glorieta, New Mexico, when I was sitting in the crowd at a conference you organized next to Danny Harrell, and the Mars Hill Band came on stage, and they played that Romans 12 song with the didgeridoo. Mm-hmm. I remember that too. It took me half an hour to find it, but I found it last night online. Really? And it, and so like in episode two, when I'm talking about my experience at Glorietta and hearing that, I'm like, there's a dude with a didgeridoo. What is this? What's going, what is <laughs> happening? There's a dude with a didgeridoo. <laughs> what is happening? Like it was a, it was a worship song, like nothing I'd ever heard. Yeah. And I was like, this is different. There's something different. And so you can do that. You can explain that. You could ask me about that moment mm-hmm, and I could mm-hmm. tell you about that moment. Yeah, like we're doing but, now, yeah. Like we're doing now, but to then do it in a podcast where you can layer in music 
and emotion and stuff like that. That's, that's been super rewarding. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's not a podcast by the typical sense of how we think about podcasts today. Like it's produced, it's a produced audio experience, this thing, you yeah. know, and sure we deliver it. You're delivering it through the same mechanism and, you know, people don't even have iPods anymore, but we just have called it a podcast, you know, for that purpose. But it is more than a podcast. This thing is an audio uh, sort of uh, memory trail for for people. By the way, did you have you reached out to Sky, the guy who led that band at Marcel? Do you, I keep up with him on Facebook. So if you if you need another, oh, is that was that Sky Diamond? Was he? This was yeah, a discussion in our text text thread for Emerge last night. Was finding this individual. Yeah, I mean, he did. I found the. I found the guy who wrote that song because it's like on his like band oh. camp site okay. or whatever the, wow. the songs he wrote for the first mars hill worship album that came this out is the didgeridoo master oh my goodness yeah so <laughs> doug i'll send i'll send you the link you dude uh, oh, yeah, no, i would love that i i remember that i remember that experience as well all right so tony to, to, before we jump to trip on this on this question um for people who don't know, who weren't involved in the emerging church movement, right? So they don't know what the phrase Glorietta in, in 1998 means, which was a conference in New Mexico, in Glorietta, New Mexico. Do you, have you had any experience of people who were not involved in the emerging church world listening to this, maybe editors or other people, and how does it strike them? Do, do you know, mm. or do you, have a, do you have a sense about what that's going to feel like to people who, I don't know, Listen yeah, to podcasts with their spouse and who was into all this stuff and they don't know any of it. Do you know yet? I'll tell you about one. And I, I got an e we got an email um, through our portal that you can anybody can leave us feedback um, through. And he's a pastor at a church you and I both know in San Diego, a, a progressive, you know, ch kind of church planty type situation. And he wrote that. Uh, by the time he graduated from high school, the emergent movement was over. So he felt like he missed it, but he still kind of read all the yeah, books, right. you know, when he was in college and seminary and tracked with the sentiments of the movement, even though he missed it in real time. So to be, so, you know, to, to listen to this first episode which goes back to like before way before the movement even started what was happening in the church world in the 1980s and 90s and frankly for people who listen to your podcast and are part of your movement and in your community um i think because of like uh, in that first episode we have a sociologist of american religion gerardo marty who talks at length about what was happening in the evangelical church in the late 80s and early 90s and for people who are confounded about the state of evangelicalism today i'd say one thing i don't know that people like you and i could have predicted where american evangelicalism would end up but we knew something was off and we tried to remedy it like it was this was mm -hmm. a renewal movement in mm -hmm. evangelicalism that did not work. But mm -hmm. 
but I think we saw something was going wrong in event. We were at least very disillusioned with event, the evangelical church and not just the church, but the bigger institutions, the magazines and the seminaries and the foundations and the, and the Christian colleges. And you and I had spent a lot of time with a lot of the leadership in those organizations. And mm -hmm. we we're very frustrated with the directions <laughs> they were going. And we tried to change them. Yeah. Unsuccessfully. I mean, they went the way they went, yeah. but um, I think so people who are unfamiliar, especially vote common gooders might be like, oh yeah, um, that's interesting. That's interesting to see wh what was happening in the late eighties in the, in the big seeker sensitive mega church movement. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, sometimes I have this imagery that we were trying to change the path of a train and the closest thing we could come up with was to derail it and get out and start walking, you know, like the train track. Or un was... uncouple our caboose yeah, and, and let the train keep going. Just keep yeah. going, and then we're just sitting back here on the same damn track, you know. <laughs> that's that's a very yeah. real thing. <clears throat> In fact, I just want to say this now because I, I think I will forget if I don't. The, the conversations about epistemology and truth and how do we know what we know was so embedded in those conversations and still are never would i have imagined that the religious right and the political right would capture postmodern deconstructive thought of truth and make it the core principle of trumpism and it, we were talking about this stuff 25 years ago and trying to say there's some benefit to not seeing truth the way that it was conveyed as a as a single uh, notion and the fears that we all had that that people would just reconstruct truth into alternative facts and and fake news and all that it is just straight on out of those conversations that we were having and some of the people who worried about all of us in the deconstruction i wonder if they're sitting around like this is what i was talking about that what what the trump mega movement does with information and data is the very thing that we were all afraid of that you guys were uh, saying there might be some possibility. And so anyway, at another time, I would love to have an ongoing conversation about how we see the play out in political spaces within the political right and the religious right that now have adopted. The people who critiqued us on the religious right about not holding to absolute truth now are full on that when it comes to election denialism and truth. Yeah, but and but they're but they're you're right. And, and and it's on the other side too because you hear it you hear that like oh this is the worst of postmodernism, but you also hear it from the right when they're like oh people on the left say like oh gender doesn't exist that's that was just a social construct that yeah. was just made up these are also that's right very concepts that came out of the stuff we were trying to get our arms around wow we should totally have that totally have that conversation all right so so trip um f for you um and homebrew christianity wanting to tell the oral history of the emerging church you also are a a practitioner in it. Like you can't tell the story of emerging church without your impact, without homebrewed Christianity's contribution. Um, and in some ways I feel like when people say, is anybody still doing that stuff you all were doing? So this is one of the prime questions I think the podcast raises is, did it just go away or has it become integrated into the rest of the system? When people ask me, Hey, wh whatever happened to that old life you used to lead, you know, talking to church leaders about this stuff, and anybody still doing that, one of the places I point to is your ongoing work with homebrew Christianity. D 
but I've never asked you if you see it that way. Do you feel like you, your work with Homebrewed was always a part of that emerging church movement and conversation? And do you think it's a continuation of it? Or how, how do you frame that up? Yeah, um, well, I guess a few things kind of come to mind. First would just be um, <clears throat> in Baptist circles in North Carolina, right when I was in divinity school, um, I was speaking uh, about the role of friendship in the mission of God, right, at a minister's convention. And someone comes up like, oh, that sounds like the the emerging church thing. I didn't know you were a part of that. And I didn't really know what it was at that point. Mm. Google it and, you know, uh, the connection gets made there. And that was before I had started the podcast. Uh, and mm. so, so that kind of like energy of the kind of early emerging church stuff that's coming, uh, you know, that's starting to spread out. Like once I connected with it, there seemed uh, a deep resonance. And then I met people like yourselves. Uh, and when the podcast started, there was always kind of a deep connection. If you go listen to the first four or five years, you know, 80% of what happens is emergent related, not like just that y'all were on a lot, like a different emerging church people are on. Uh, but uh, we used to do a call in line and uh, other emerging church podcasters would come taunt us and we'd interact. Uh, you and Tony came on in character. Um, and, uh, from your rolling gospel revival, uh, van tour, which y'all clearly need to tell a cool story about on RV here. tour. That's more than, the, yeah, that's what the, that's what the, the good, the common, good not podcast. a bus tour. No, bus. not a bus oh, tour. It's, it's an RV. It's an RV. And, and you can find out whether or not they had some roadkill dinners, uh, uh, on that tour. Um, but the, uh, so, you know, early on, like if you were keywording emerging church podcast yep. or emergent village podcast, it was there and it was just kind of like in always a part of the podcast over time. And in the last five or six years, especially as more people get on podcasts, more people find it. Um, I would, people would go find old episodes and, and I would get these messages. So what's the emerging church? Uh, and, uh, and, and so, you know, part of doing the emerge podcast is really to share with the, you know, if, if there are like 50,000 people that listen uh, to homebrewed regularly, you know, two thirds of them didn't listen when that was like a regular thing on the podcast. And so doing this is also going like, yeah, this is, this is what animated and inspired my faith. Like why didn't I escape at the, the church after our rather horrible response post nine 11, which was been the thing that kind of initiated my own faith mm -hmm. deconstruction. It was finding a community of people that took the way of Jesus seriously. Uh, and, uh, and it, it was centered in relationships and friendships and creative expression of it. And, uh, yeah, so did I, I've served in mainline Protestant churches and all that kind of stuff and teach uh, theology and things. But the, the energy of the emerging church movement has always been a part of who I am uh, as an adult. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to k get labeled by you, Doug, more than happy. All right. So the, the basic question that the podcast wants to address, at least in my memory, you can tell me if this is not one of the basic questions. Uh, is the emerging church over with? Is it done? Is it is it in the past? When I was writing the the headline for this live stream, I wasn't sure if I should write it in the past tense. What was the emerging church or what is the emerging church? OK, so you two. Emerging church was or is? 
Well, I think it was. I think, uh, and this is something that, you know, Doug, when I interviewed you for the podcast, um, we talked about, and I've asked pretty much every guest, like, do you think the emerging church was a success or a failure? And we get a variety of answers to that. They're probably um, very much tied to that person's personality, you know? (laughs) Whether they're a cynical old SOB like me or uh, 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 an, an eternal Pollyanna optimist, you know, um, we had a lot of different personalities in the movement. Um, probably no no two more different than, you know, Brian McLaren and, and me probably. But so we get different answers to that. Um, people get real upset frankly when i say the emerging church was a failure but because they're like no no it saved my faith it saved my faith so it's you know you you can tell your um you can tell your viagra (laughs) anecdote um but it didn't look it didn't do what we wanted it to do and that was change the face of the church in america now it maybe did a little bit around the edges i think it influenced evangelicalism and it influenced mainline protestantism Mm -hmm. for sure it influenced both of those streams of, of american religiosity but it didn't it didn't change the direction the train was headed down the tracks or the it didn't keep the titanic from hitting the iceberg yep yeah yeah, but I get the same response when if I ever say that things that we were all up to didn't work, there are people for whom, and I've, I've had to be more sensitive to that because I th- sure. think that they didn't, people didn't know the plans that a bunch of us had for this. So they're like, all of a sudden now, 20 years later, you're telling me that you had this other agenda? <laughs> I thought we were journeying together to a more fruitful way of collective life that worked now you're telling me this was a reconstructive effort that you had this other agenda working the back of your mind which has been a real revelation to me that like oh yeah at solomon's porch the church that i worked at i feel the same thing that like oh i did have additional project in my mind of what we were doing with this thing that not everyone felt privy to or even knew it was going on didn't even they didn't even feel unprivied they just didn't know at all. And then all of a sudden, 20 years on, they're like, oh, and you had another goal in mind? <laughs> you know, like, it's like we were describing a road trip and I'm like, but we never did get to Phoenix. They're like, I didn't know we were going to Phoenix. I thought we were just driving around. Like, uh, so I, it's it's interesting uh, to me. Trip, how, how, how do you answer it? Uh, was or is success uh, not success or do you use other categories well, altogether? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think people see it Tony's right. Just in the interviews, people have very different answers. And uh, I think temperament's a part of it. Also, probably what you thought you were doing, right? Like what you hear in the first episode, um, especially I think Tim Condor captures it well in that um, in in the conversation with uh, Tony is that there was this assumption um, that after the success of baby boomer evangelicalism, uh, that we need to figure out how to do it right for Gen Xers. And the those of you that came out of the leadership network and stuff, Doug, uh, and, and eventually of a part of Emergent Village, uh, kind of resisted 
uh, a, a certain part of that legacy. Uh, but but that element that a real evangelical uh, it deeply cares about the mission of God and that you should orient your life not just to figure out how to be faithful in your community, but to proclaim and invite and empower and encourage all these type of things, other communities of faith to do that in theirs. And that if you do it well, if you tell the good news, embody the good news in a compelling way, then goodness happens. And mm-hmm. why would people be against if you, you know, if you baptized in to the body of Christ, Jesus is Savior, if you and Lord, like if that's the case, then obviously you would want to figure out how to be faithful and deeply uh, invested in your community. Right. And that element that's there, that's part of uh, American evangelicalism throughout. Um, I, I think that the emerging church movement ran into a number of places uh, that the community that that kind of passed off that uh, deep spiritual activism energy. Um, it ran into places that American evangelicalism just wouldn't go. You know, early on, some of it was around different theological questions like, oh, how we see other religious traditions or the, the boundaries of salvation or how we engage postmodern philosophy or exegete texts and interpret the Bible. There's that. And then uh, over time, um, more and more different justice and political issues get on the table or LGBTQ inclusion and these kinds of things. And that uh, they may have made perfect sense for those that are a part of the emerging church conversation to host these questions, to start investing in these different issues. But that the the kind of motherland of sorts where they got the energy, right, to really dig yeah, in yeah. to how they understand their faith and live it out, the, those, those places uh, were like, mm, no, I think we're going to. Now we got a little new freeze. group over here. Trip. That's. Uh, I think that's really insightful, and uh, so uh, so on the money with what I um, with with what the project was. I, the the thing I wonder is um, is <clears throat> are we just dealing with classic movement life cycles? Um, like, how long can a movement last before it has enough? has to have enough reorienting new starting energy that it becomes something different. And, and the reason I think that matters is there's a, a, a really easy thing that we all do where something we're a part of that we know the history of it, and that can be an organization, that can be a movement, that can be Christianity, it can be Judaism, whatever. People will often say like, well, we need to get back to what it was at the beginning. But that's not how any movement works. Movements come out of a certain set of experiences and a certain set of conditions. And then when those conditions change, it reforms itself. So it feels like, to me, the emerging church world fit really well somewhere from 1990 to 2010, 2015, maybe, somewhere in that world, 20 or 25 years, the set of conditions were really right for what we were all up to. And then over time, little bit by little bit, there's enough change where that set of conditions just didn't respond well to the things that we were all doing. And we were all changing. Like I watched a lot of people just outgrow the emerging church themselves in their own life. Either their brand got bigger than the emerging church and they didn't want to be held back by it, or they just were changing in their faith or they just didn't want to do it anymore or life circumstances ended or changed people's 
literal sexual identities changed or their marriages ended, like real, just normal things that happen in people's lives kind of changed. And, and I've just wondered, maybe that's all this ever was, uh, any of the ending, like there was no big reason. It's just you change comes over a period of time and something can only last, you know, X number of years. Do do you think that's a reasonable explanation for all this? Like just how it goes. Yeah. Things have a life, you know, a shelf life to them, 12 to 20 years, maybe something like that. Do you think part of it is, um, uh, I mean, groups and movements function are, are so tied to the ability for uh, the leaders to embody and perform the identity. Uh, the, obviously, the mediums in which that chain it changed over time, right? If you're thinking from the 90s through 2015. Um, but also, if you just looked at so many of the leaders in the emerging church movement, uh, where um, where did the funding come from and where did they get health insurance? That changed dramatically in that time. Uh, in the early ones, we're hearing all this money coming in from the leadership network and, and this giant funding type thing to to then by the end, um, uh, Mike Clawson has a dissertation on you know, church history dissertation on the emerging church movement. The amount of money everyone thought the leaders of the emergent village had putting on events and all this kind of stuff is like unrelated to its funding once evangelicals turned off the the spigot, right? Uh, think of how many people in the younger, you know, the millennials of us that were involved in the emerging church movement get done with seminary. And you want to know where if you um, were a, a cohort leader and open and affirming and thought Moltmann was cool, where you could get a job that had health insurance at a mainline Protestant church. You're not getting funding for church planting with your your evangelical denomination mm. so that you can like start a new church and do gay weddings. Right, like there's so much that happened in that that change that as a is a as a white evangelicalism got more and more tight on its boundaries, then the people whose faith came alive in the emerging church movement. If you're a leader and you're going uh, and you're vocationally committed, you either have to, uh, you know, uh, find a place where you can get health insurance, and and yeah. pay for your student loans That's and all that kind of stuff, which tended to be mainline Protestant ones. Or you go get it. You get a job outside of leadership, and I think that just that's like makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, I have a uh, when I was at, in Edinburgh, I had a, a graduate student that worked on uh, uh, the American religious rights funding of clergy. So if you go look at how many conferences everything's paid for and who speaks and such in the kind of right wing Christian nationalist circle. There are clergy who go to conferences, everything's paid for, they get training and all these kinds of things, and it's funded by very right-wing political groups that pay to rate, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. essentially support uh, a whole leadership network of, you know, that kind of vibe. That is not what happens in more progressive religious spaces. And then let's just imagine you're like, let's not use these 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 identities. Let's... Uh, Let's let's uh, let's hold uh, uh, hold space for disagreement and all the kinds of things that would happen in an emerging church cohort. That is not the thing that gets the kind of funding um, that uh, yeah. that that I think plays a role. Very few people are aware of at shaping American religion, um, yeah. even down to um, to advertising funding um, at, at large, like it, in the social media space. It. It is it's like 30 to one 
for funding of any progressive religious, uh, uh, you know, advertising yeah, yeah. Or, or stuff to more conservative. And that just wasn't the case in the emerging church movement. There was a time where you could hang out with people with very different identities, beliefs, and convictions, and the relationships were primary. And I don't think that's where we are today. Um, and I, and there, I mean, I remember the decision of, do I want to get paid the mm -hmm. most I've ever been paid and still have ever been paid by a liberal mainline Protestant church in LA? Or do I want to plant a church where they'll give me $20,000 a year for two years? Yeah, totally. Look at the trip that you, you are on it. And one, one of the things I just want to say about the first episode of the podcast, it kind of made it seem like funding from a group called Leadership Network where I worked went to these churches and it didn't. The Leadership Network never gave money to anything. It, it organized events at no cost for people, but that was it. Like there was no, there was no other, uh, when I went to work for leadership network, I made less money. I made less money when I left being a youth pastor at the church that I was at subsequently going to leadership network and then starting Solomon's porch for 15 years, made less money in those entire 15 years than before that it was no money grab. Um, and, and, and I, I, Tony, I remember riding in the RV with you and talking about Barack Obama's uh, election in 2008, if that was going to happen. And I remember us having a conversation that if we go to universal health care, where people don't have to pay for their health care out of their bank accounts, but it's covered at a federal level in taxes, that could be the thing that actually fuels the emerging church success. Because if people can take health insurance off their plate and the worry of that, they could then experiment in lots of creative things that didn't happen. And uh, it, so I, I just say, Trip, I'm giving an amen to your notion here that it was those just very basic things. If someone, there was no infrastructure. And my friend who owns the, the progressive radio station here in Minneapolis, AM 950, the progressive talk of Minnesota, um, he told me that right-wing radio stations are completely funded by right-wing politics, by ad revenue that they pay through the political arm of the right wing. That's what funds conservative talk radio. It's not off of advertisers or anything. It comes directly from funding of the advertisers on the political side. Progressive talk radio gets no funding from the progressive side of politics. And I have a suspicion that conservative Christian radio is also funded by very specific people. And anything that's not conservative isn't funded by anybody. Yeah. And well, this is you just know, a Doug, the America Fest with the world about about this. If you want to know why uh, conservatives exist, they're funded and progressives yeah, well, are not. Charlie Kirk's big America Fest thing that was a few weeks ago. Um, I, I met someone since moving to North Carolina who went. He is a 26-year-old youth minister, and everything was paid for him to go. Yeah. And, and you know, that that in the last 10 years, the, uh, yep. the everything Charlie Kirk's been doing, like, and, and he was a part of our, a cohort of 500 and some young clergy that went mm -hmm. to this to basically get indoctrinated in Christian nationalism, and everything was paid for. If you're, if you're a 20-something-year-old minister at a church— with 60 people in it and somebody's going to fly you to Arizona, put you up in a nice hotel, give you spending money 
and go hang out while you get indoctrinated. Um, you know, like I said, you didn't find that a bit suspicious. Would they let you use the money for anything else? And 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 he's like, well, you know, they just are trying to rally everyone around biblical truth. And and I, I'm like, OK, but I just I just don't think people understand that money thing is a really big uh, it, it plays a really big role. Um, um, OK, anyway. OK. All right. Okay, but we're going to get Tony. Really okay, Doug, I mean, I remember so many times we'd have erstwhile church planters show up on Sunday night at Solomon's porch. And then you and I would kind of hold office hours at original pancake house. Um, and my, you know, expertise was whatever theology and postmodern thought or whatever. But you were actually just doing what these people all wanted to do. And I remember so many times you saying to these usually guys why do you feel entitled to health insurance and a salary yeah like you want to they they wanted to do something big mm -hmm. with no risk yep. yep and the people who started churches in the movement took huge risks you know it's like the person who starts uh it, it's like our friend ann kim who started Pizzeria Lola yeah. on her credit card yep. and is now a James Beard award-winning chef. Yeah. You know, she didn't, as you may recall, when she spoke at a conference for us when you had hepatitis, so you may not recall. No, I do remember. I remember. But she hepatitis. was told by everyone hepatitis in the restaurant a, industry. Let's be clear. It's the poop derivative, okay, yeah. not hepatitis yeah. C. The, the, he, he, you ate Just a baby's poop. Clear. You yeah. ate a baby's poop in Guatemala. It was, we know. Yeah. The baby's name is Abraham. Um, I know who to blame. Uh, she was told by people in the restaurant industry, if you want to learn the industry, you, you should start a Jimmy John's franchise and spend yeah. 10 years learning how to run a restaurant. And she was like, I mean, her James Beard award speech called F Fear, yeah. F Fear is incredible. And she, it was, it was that, that's what was in the blood of the yeah. people who were starting the movement, yourself included, yep. me to a lesser extent, but we all took huge risks. We did not have health insurance. We didn't have a steady paycheck. We hustled, 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 you know, and that's, um, and I get, not everyone is wired to do that. You know, yep. fair enough. Absolutely. Not, not everybody can do that. Not everybody has the, whatever we're privileged because we're, you know, we come from, some level of affluence. We have some kind of safety net around us that other people probably don't have. Um, nevertheless, it, it was a risky endeavor. And it, yeah, I do remember having that conversation with you about universal health care because I mean, a lot of, uh, we knew it, we were meeting young pastors all the time who were yeah. like, well, I'd love to, but if I leave, I leave my PCUSA pension. Yeah. And I mean, how am yeah, I, I going to live I without guess we that? We sort of thought, well, maybe, maybe it was just solving the problem. Like, hey, if people could have more structure. But I think you're onto something deeper. People don't want to leave the safety. They want to, they want to climb with a harness on. And we were talking about free climbing. And, well, Doug, uh, how 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 much do you find that in the political? There's um, everybody's like, yeah, our politics sucks. Money in politics sucks. Are you going to do anything about it? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. People do it all the time. Where I'm like, hey, we're getting in the, in the bus and we're going to start traveling. I watch people's faces go, oh, it's so much work. 
<laughs> it's like the rich young ruler went to Jesus. Really? Went away sad. A lot of work. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I was listening to a, 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 watching a video about guitars, and there was this little excerpt from uh, Taylor Guitars, a very now famous high-end brand. But the founder of Taylor Guitars started in 1974, said for the first 10 years until 1984, he and the other co-founder were not paid. They had to live off the charity of their families and bank loans building the company. They went 10 years without compensation. Now they're extremely wealthy. And I only bring that up because that is not just in this industry. It's a, people from other industries, education or whatever, or just you know manufacturing will tell these same stories over and over and over about the level of effort and risk and work that it is to make another railroad track or to get off the railroad track and make another path, I don't know, a drone or something. And it usually doesn't come with, and what's the, uh, what's the financial package that goes with, you know, transformative <laughs> movements? Uh, it's, it's super risk-taking. And so to that point, I'm like, look, the emerging church out hustled most other movements. Like to my mind, maybe we didn't accomplish all that we wanted to for sure. I have no problem saying, it didn't accomplish what we wanted, so it's a failure, but it was also an enormous success in ways that we weren't counting. So that's sort of how life goes. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying failure in one level and success in a whole other level. Tony referenced Trip. I use this little illustration of Viagra. Uh, Viagra was started by heart, uh, people trying to sol solve heart disease and heart, uh, heart episodes. And they were trying to do things with the vascular system with some medication. It didn't do what they wanted in heart work, but did cause other benefits and become the number one selling drug in areas that was not what they intended. So they could declare it not a success, uh, an experiment failure that had great financial reward in, in other areas. And I think that's just a good way to re recognize the, how, the, how the world works. You know, sometimes the thing you're trying to do isn't successful. So, so, so let me, let me spin this. It's, it's hard to call a uh, Viagra a failure. I think very hard to call it a failure, Doug. You could say it, it, emer of, it emerged. I don't it know emerged. what your level of benefit is, but if you keep that in the drawer too long, I'm just saying it might not have the potency that you found. Um, it, it may be a, a time capsule release. Um, so let me ask you this. And maybe we can maybe we can wrap with this. Um, how people get to the podcast and all that stuff, you can obviously tell us about. I already see people in the chat like I had no idea any of this stuff was a thing, and super interested. Um, what would be success for emerged and oral history of the emerging church movement podcast? As you put all this time in, all this effort, you're not only releasing it, still working. Episodes are literally being made today. I bet there's somebody with their finger on a keyboard right now moving a mouse around, making it happen. So it's in real motion. As you're sitting here on the 3rd of January, it launched uh, two days ago, first episode. What will success look like for either or both of you with this podcast? Go ahead, Trip. Well, uh, okay. I, you know, two things. One, um, I would say success is for those of us that were a part of it, uh, it it gives you the opportunity to remember uh, the different stories, voices, and such 
that really animated uh, your life and faith at a moment in time. Um, so for those that this is a part of their story, you'll be hearing parts you didn't know about uh, and that kind of thing to re reliving it. And we hope we do that well. Um, the other part to me and the thing I'm, you know, I'm most animated about is I hope the kind of energy of the movement can uh, in inspire uh, people that are disgruntled and frustrated uh, with the opportunities and institutional shape of faith uh, to 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 do some risking and 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 hopefully uh, it it it'll it'll invite more generative responses to the obviously frustration uh, frustrating elements of American religion and not just inspire um, you know hmm. trolling meme making uh, venting on the internet. Um, wow. That to me is the part of the emerging church movement. I think is uh, remains kind of inspirational to me. Is it a group of people who find themselves sharing intuitions, criticisms, frustrations? Uh, can can bring something out that's more uh, brings things out of it that are more than just uh, venting and complaints, uh, but uh, community spaces hosting relationships and that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if it will, you know, inspire, you know, a, uh, a church planting movement or something like that. But I, I do think religious communities or communities of disciples will need to find new forms of gathering and community in such as, uh, as things move forward. Um, and telling the story of, uh, of y'all and your friends and everyone that got tied up into it. Uh, hopefully that'd be, that'd be inspirational to someone mm. that mm. that'd be exciting. Right. And, um, you know, we, plus I, it took nine years to get uh, before I had 2000 downloads of a podcast episode in the first day. Yeah. Nice. And we did it. So that, so I feel good about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a great perspective. You know, I, I, I sometimes think, there is no way that the way we did the emerging church stuff in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, could have worked in the current social media environment. Partially, I don't think people would have had the same felt need, but also the, the speed of criticism that we felt was fast on blogs and uh, other books. places. And books, books and, people wrote about us. Books in the 2000s. <laughs> it came out so fast. Like somebody wrote a book in 18 months about us. Like, yeah. oh. Like, geez, what, how, how do we respond? <laughs> like the idea that someone would meme make in real time during a oh. conference and just. Doug, we used to run. our failures and collapse. Doug, we like used to run tower. a live Twitter feed on the big screen during events while we were speaking. Can you imagine doing that today? I mean, you couldn't do it. Oh God. Yeah. And that was the, 2000. That was like 2006 or seven or eight, something early like that. Twitter. Yeah. Eight, nine, 10 in, in there and like live Twitter feeds. <laughs> I mean, just like finding people. So it was so period specific, right? Yeah. And like, but I also well, say we took great pride in the fact that what it meant at Emergent Village, our insider language, you know, to reference what you were saying earlier, Trip was built around friendship. And when Facebook launched, it launched with a notion of your connections are called your friends. 
Like yeah. that was the language we were using in the late 90s, early 2000s, because the same intuitions were in place and the same reality that people found on Facebook, we found in our world that people have really different definitions of friendship. Um, and uh, yeah, Tony, what what about you? Well, what I'd say, I'd say like? I, yeah, I'd say two things. One success, it happened in the first episode and it happened magically because it is not what we set out to when we were doing the interviews, when I was interviewing, I did most of the interviews for the first episode. And um, this question of um, the, the, the tension between Gen Xers and baby boomers in leadership of the church in the day, wow. it, it's like, I didn't realize it, it came out in conversations with you and with Brad and with Tim Conder and 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 that little it was that little breakfast club comment mm -hmm. that Tim Conder made where all the pieces for episode 1 fell into place for me and that is this Rick Warren if people Rick Warren was one of the real successful pastors of the late 80s and early 90s planted Saddleback Church which was for a while the biggest church in America and he had this idea of Saddleback Sam and Saddleback Sally remember and they were these kind of um, idealized Orange County mom and dad. And those were his targets to evangelize and get into his megachurch. We came along. And so the, the idea was that this population is monolithic. If we just tap, Doug, you and I remember back to the Young Life funnel model of youth ministry. Get the, get the, the quarterback and the cheerleader to come to Young Life yep. Club, and all the other kids in the high school are gonna come to the Young Life Club. Then Breakfast Club comes along, a movie of our, you know, our yeah. generation, and saying, no, look at these kids who are in detention on Saturday morning. They have nothing in common. Right. Like that's how, and, and so, that came together in that episode kind of magically like oh. oh my god that was a big part of what was going on and the and the miss the disconnect yeah. between the baby boomer pastors who were like okay you gen xers just figure out what gen xers look like and then bring them all yeah. in and gerardo marty says it in the episode he's like faith is individualized everyone has their own experience of the mm -hmm. bible and jesus and church and the emergent movement was trying to take that into account Whereas the seeker sensitive movement was treating everyone like their cookie cutters. Yeah. So a success for me is if in every episode, there's some kind of magic thread that mm. comes through. And then the other oh. thing is related saying, to that. Let, let me pause. I just want to put a point yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. You're saying as the producer, you're hoping that episodes that are still coming together will have their own sync or their own kind yeah. of magical. Mo That's just fun for people who now listen to it to know that. You're not saying that because episode, maybe episode two is done. Is episode two done? No, no, not yet? done yet. No. Okay. So th this is in such real time, these produced podcasts, that you're still hoping that they have a, a coherence that is more than what you ever imagined the parts to be. So I think that's fun for people to listen to them and say like, yeah. oh yeah, that actually happened. And they, you and Trip and other producers didn't know that was, I mean, that's not guaranteed. That may or may not happen. Right, right. And it's, and it's, I think the benefit of having multiple voices in every episode, because things can kind of come together and then you edit it and what mm -hmm. tell a story. So that's, 
that's part of it. And then the other thing, Doug, I would just say is like, even though it wasn't, even, even though we pushed back against this generational idea mm-hmm. and we obviously had people like most notably Phyllis Tickle and Brian McLaren, who aren't of our generation, Gen Xers, who were a really, really big part of it. Nevertheless, the emergent movement was kind of the Gen X moment in the church. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Doug, we our our generation, man, we may never have a US president. Like US presidents may skip Gen Xers. It may go straight from a <laughs> old boomer to a millennial. Biden, like Biden to Buttigieg. And we're not even Yeah, I mean it might you know what I'm saying? Like our generation Don't scare me, Doug. Generation Generation X was small. We're we're small. So, and smaller. we have our own kind of cultural idioms and stuff like that. Mm. In the church world, I think it's nice to build this podcast project and have this little like kind of mm, treasury classic. of the Gen X moment mm-hmm. when we tried to really do something in mm-hmm. our 30s that was really fun, very special for a lot of people. But I don't want that to be lost. So putting this together, that's a success for me is like at the end, they're like, oh, I'm glad that's out there for people to listen to, you know, forever. Well, what 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 I think this, look, if, if the two of you and your producer, Josh, hadn't said yes to this, there wouldn't be this oral history. It would just go down. Somebody would dig up Mike Lawson's, you know, doctoral work, or they'd f- stumble on some books or have to go back and reconstruct it, listening to homebrewed Christianity podcast or something, and it would just be gone. The, the, the future is made by the choices of a very select group of people in any line of the future, right? Automobile, whatever it is, the future is being made in lots of little pieces by very small numbers of people making choices inside their own areas of influence. And listening back to this podcast, I was sort of reminded of that feeling it's quite possible there could have never been anything like the emerging church movement save for 25 people's individual choices to say yes to something, you know, like so small. And that's just true across movements, I think. And one can lose their mind thinking about what could have been had one or two happenings been a little bit different in the world or what may have never been had someone not randomly said yes or stumbled on to something like that very small impact. So I could imagine a success coming out of this that someone hears it and it becomes part of their backstory that just compels them off to do and to make something, which I would really like. My greatest regret in all of this is I just feel like um, there's not a direct descendant line of all this emerging church stuff. Like, uh, it just surprises me that I don't know whatever the next generations after Gen X are Y's or millennials or Z's or whatever aren't really doing anything similar. And maybe I've just missed it, but uh, I hear every once in a while that some things come along. But I don't know. It doesn't take many. Are there? You know, there's, there's very biblical, very, very you know Jewish scripture, biblical narrative to all of this. Like, hey, we just need ten. Can we get 10? Can we get 10, 10 faithful people? That'll go do a thing. Like we could probably make some magic if, if we get 10. Um, so I don't know, maybe this thing. How, how many How many people will end up listening to this? Do you, do you know already? Do you have numbers? Do you have any of that? Is it, are there commas in it? Are there two commas, one comma, no commas? How, how, many, how many listeners are we talking about? 
Well, in we there's a I guess we passed over two thousand in the first you know day and a half. So really, there we right. go. That's I mean, where for, we are for a right non-existent now. podcast that you know doesn't have any push. That is great. Is there going to be advertising? I feel like I heard in the first one there was like a pause. We'll be back after the break, and then it was like I'd paid for the subscription to not have to listen to ads. Well, Will there it, be ads in future episodes? There, it's it. They're middle. They're ads in the middle. If your IP address is something, uh, a, an a, advertiser uh, wants, an advertiser wants. Uh, Tony was worried because there wasn't any in his experience, and apparently you also did not get an ad. None. But don't worry, there are desirable people that listened that were delivered ads. Um, but really? you know, no, yeah. But we should also say, Doug, that there's. If people go to emergedpodcast.com, okay. they can sign Great up for emergedpodcast.com for a donation of anything, including zero to as no upper limit, and they'll get access to ad-free episodes, extra full-length interview episodes, the live stream between episodes where we break down the episode that's Amazing. just aired. We're doing one. With Next week, we're going to do them with different people all throughout the, the run of the show. You can get an emerged mug. You can get an enamel pin. Um, there's other, you know, the, at your different levels. So, you know, if people like it, uh, they can join kind of it's a crowdfunded project and, and people can join and they can opt out of those ads for a dollar of a, a, a donation. So emergedpodcast.com is the best place to go. And then there's Facebook groups if people are use that platform and all the rest of it. Yep. Yes. Well, yep. congratulations on this. It's uh it's it's great. It's it's the best produced podcast that I have personal connection to. So it feels very like, well, look look what my friends were able to do. I mean, this is this is uh this is S Town level. Well, By the way, Tony, I know Doug, we both like S Town, that podcast. And for people who are not familiar with that, worth worth uh, listening to. And more Did that tragedy. Inspire you at all in this? More Did tragedy that... has come out of that story because another guy from that story died last month. But uh, it's almost like everybody dies. It's just crazy how it feels sometimes. Isn't that funny? It just keeps happening. <laughs> yeah, all those Doug, all those kind of produced podcasts, serial, um, uh, um the what's the the one from minnesota the dark the one about jacob Jake wetterling yeah. mm -hmm. you know all all those and of course the rise and fall of mars hill from christianity today which was such a huge hit oh. um mm -hmm. uh along some of the same kind of things but yeah anyway yeah those those there is a way of that we're not the first ones to do a podcast like this but we're learning quickly how much work it is <laughs> wow Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations. I hope people. Thanks. In this Thanks for having us. It and uh, share, share it with a friend or two. You know, uh, don't be selfish with your goodness, friends. Send us, uh, send us some text <laughs> Please messages share to somebody. It. Like just pick a random person in your contact and send the podcast link and say, hey, I think you'd enjoy this. Just yeah. don't even worry about who Please. it is. Just send it to somebody and see what happens. Somebody starts listening. They're like, what? Why am I? Who are these people? And what is this? What is this thing? All right. Any, uh, any, any last words for us? Anything we should uh, tell these good people about? I I just really want y'all to get in character uh, when we do the live stream on Monday from oh. your from your basement. 
I want, you want, I want a reprisal from your RV tour. Not. Mm -hmm. so it was an RV. The RV, that very vehicle that we traveled in 2008 on the Rolling Gospel Revival Church Basement Roadshow, uh, will, that very vehicle will actually be at this house on that, at that day. We, we could do this whole thing from that RV. Oh, gosh. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm just saying it, dear this listeners, if, very you, meta. if you go to EmergedPodcast.com and uh, donate $1, you too can see if Tony and Doug reprise there was it your grandfather that you played in this in the uh, story. Yeah, they, I'm gonna need some. I'm gonna need some Pathios punch if I'm gonna share an RV with Doug again. <laughs> well, I I can make a punch. I don't know if it's if it's Pathios, because I I don't know how to make a I don't know how to make a punch with that many pop up ads in it. But um, I. Uh, there's a there's a inside joke. We're, we're going deep in inside jokes here. Yeah. Pathios pop up ads. Uh, we 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 thought we thought they were bad on that Pathios website until you now open anything on an iPhone and it's just in apps and everything. It's just constant pop ups. Uh, all right, well you you fellows will pop up over here and thanks all for being a part of the podcast. Thanks, Doug. And uh, we'll see you all later. Bye. Thanks.